Hey team, welcome to The Offseason. The Offseason is an exploration of athletic health, recovery, and performance told through stories of athletes and their medical and training team. I hope you enjoy. Now for a quick but mandatory medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of naturopathic medicine or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this material is at user's own risk. Listeners should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical conditions they may have and should seek assistance from the trusted healthcare professional for any condition. This podcast does not speak on behalf of naturopathic medicine and does not represent the views of the profession as a whole. Episode two of the off season, guys. So today I'm sitting down with Mel Gallagher, who's a national level weightlifter and a regional level CrossFit competitor, and she was diagnosed with breast cancer. This episode is a long one. Mel's story is absolutely incredible, so I really encourage you to listen to the whole thing through despite its length. There's so many things that we can pull from this story. Even if we don't have major diagnosis, her mental fortitude is amazing. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast, and without further ado, here's Mel. Hey Mel, what's up? Nothing. Thanks for coming to hang out with me. Thank you. So we were just talking and you got some pretty cool information back. I did. I did. So I'm a part of a study that's across Canada. It's called the Ruby study and uh, they are studying breast cancer um, in women under the age of 40 um, across Canada because it's really rare to get diagnosed with breast cancer under the age of 40. But for some reason... The women who are diagnosed with breast cancer um, tend to have like a really aggressive type of cancer and really fast growing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and there's no, people don't know why. Um, so I happily agreed to be a part of this study just to like further the research. Um, so almost like six months ago, they got in touch with me and said like they would like to do a genetic test and uh, to test my genes to see if I was predisposed to cancer to the breast cancer and I had already done it through the IWK and they had tested nine genes um but the ruby study had 25 that they were testing which like I was like of course like um because when I got my results back from the IWK they were like these are just the nine genes we know about Mm -hmm. like they might find a new gene every year for the next hundred years so don't know um so I definitely wanted to say yes to the 25 and uh, yeah, they called me today and they said that I was, all of my genetic testing came back normal, which means nothing that they could see was the cause of my cancer. I wasn't predisposed to having this breast cancer. Yeah, it's so interesting. Hey? Super interesting. So it's funny because like when they tell you, they're like, congrats. Well, she's kind of like, is that good news for you? Because she doesn't know like. Because it doesn't answer why I got breast cancer, but at the same time, it's telling me that like, okay, I might, I might not get it again. I don't know, but like, um, I just, I've, I've already had both my breasts removed to try and minimize that as much as possible. So regardless of this genetic test, I was not willing to take that risk. Yeah. But even having both your breasts removed, like I could still get breast cancer again. I could get breast cancer come back in my brain or mm-hmm. in my liver. Like, so right now it's just like, it's not a waiting game, but it's a, it's so wild. We know like just enough yeah, to know nothing. Exactly. What's going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. I know just enough. I just know that the 25 genes that they tested that ca- could cause breast cancer 
didn't cause my breast cancer. Um, and that's kind of all you know from that. And that's that. all I know. Yeah. And so, but she did say like, this is why we're doing the study. Cause we want to, we want to know what caused it. Mm-hmm. Like, why are young women getting breast cancer? Especially if it's not a genetic trait. Yeah. Yeah, so like future research, it's going to be helpful exactly. for other women going exactly. through. So spoiler alert to our listeners, uh, Mel had breast cancer. Yeah. yeah. And we're just kind of going through some of the results that she got. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of like your most recent story. But mm-hmm. let's start at the beginning a little bit. Do you want to tell me a bit about your uh, sports history? Sure. Um, so I was, I don't know, I, a reluctant athlete my whole life. I was um, pretty talented when it came to sports. I have a lot of... I'm like a power athlete, five foot two and shaped like a mini fridge. So like I had a lot of push, a lot of power when I was young. So I started playing soccer pretty when I was 13 years old and picked it up really quick. And I was grew up in Prince Edward Island. So I made the one good soccer team (laughs) (laughs) in all of the island. Yeah. By the time we were 18 years old, they just put us all on one team and we're like, we'll have to Figure it out. Yeah, we went to New Brunswick and played in a league in New Brunswick. We went to Nova Scotia and played in a league in Nova Scotia. Um, But I loved it. I loved it a lot. I call myself a reluctant athlete because I didn't train to be a great soccer player. I just was a good soccer player. Um, I loved practice. I loved competition, but I did not love working out. Um, And I definitely did not love working on my endurance. So Fair. Yeah, so I, uh, even though... I didn't um, maximize my potential. I was very fortunate enough to be recruited to Dalhousie um, after playing in PEI through my high school. And um, yeah, I went when I was 18 years old, and they were back to back national champions. And so I played with a really good team with like really high level players, and I played for five years. What was that transition like going from one kind of team that would play ever so slightly in yeah. different leagues to, you know, a top level team? Um, it was tough. I mean, it, because it's a whole other transition, right? So it's a transition to university. It's my first time living away from my parents. I was living in an all-girls dorm. Um, I was, like, cooking and eating for myself for the first time or eating at a cafeteria, like, having to choose my own food. Like, my mom picked my food. Yeah. Like, that sounds really weird, but, like, my, my mom was great. Like, she was – I was really fortunate. Like, she was – stayed home or worked like when we were at school so my mom cooked all my meals and my mom's really health conscious and like I just like I just took that for granted and then when I got to university and I had to choose my meals I was like well what tastes good yeah not like and what is good for my body I had no idea and like nobody brought like broke that down and and told us what we should be eating and And cafeteria food was top-notch right yeah like I mean to be fair like we there were lots of options, but like, I mean, what 18 year old who has not, doesn't not pick pizza. Yeah, exactly. Or like, no, like doesn't pick chocolate milk, you know? And like, I think at the time, like that's kind of like what athletes, athletes thought that they should be drinking mm-hmm. was chocolate milk. So I don't know. Just, I just didn't, it was a, that was a tough transition. I definitely like gained weight. Mm-hmm. Like most people do when they, when they go into their first year of university. And even though I was playing a sport, the transition onto the team, I'm a team athlete, like big time. So it, that part was easy. There was um, one person, one other person from PEI on my team, and she was a fifth year player. And she just like, 
she took me under her wing. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, really good. Yeah. Yeah, so I felt really fortunate. Like, the older girls, because she was, like, she was a captain, Mm -hmm. the older girls just were like, Little Mel. And, like, actually, my name was Pee Wee. Um, It was, like, that's how they called for the ball. Pee Wee. Pee Wee. Pass it over. Yeah. Hilarious. Um, So I was really fortunate. They, like, those are the people I hung out with. Um, They didn't show me the ropes as far as, like, studying or eating healthy but mm-hmm. they showed me the ropes as far as like partying goes yeah and playing the important ropes. So yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i always find that so interesting like the transition from as you had said like same with my parents they made sure food was on the table for us and i honestly didn't make a lot of decisions at no. school i was told no. what to do all day and then at sports i was told what to do that whole time exactly. on the ice everything i mean like you had a little bit of individuality in your play but for the most part it was like do this and you're like well, okay yeah, it's so weird. There's such a fine balance there because, like, I don't want to throw my mom under the bus, right? Because she took great care of me yeah. and, like, she's she still takes great care of me. Like, she's a wonderful person. But, like, I remember going to my friend's place and, like, her mom was working every time she got home from school. And so, like, she would make her own meal. And, like, I remember feeling sorry for her. But then in university, she, like, she really thrived mm-hmm. because that wasn't, like such a huge step for her yeah definitely and I always feel like too a lot of people that I talk to in practice athlete or athlete or not like you always want a life better than you had or you're always trying to make things better for other people so I feel like that burden would be so difficult for a mom and now that you're a mom you probably feel that way all the time exactly yeah what do you think about it now um I think it's just it's just that fine line of like you I want to provide for my kids as much as possible but I also I also want them to be able to do for themselves so you know my dad's from west indies he's from barbados so that's a very traditional like like lifestyle so women cook you know and my dad would like do the dishes and i never got involved in cooking because i just was like i'm not gonna fall into that cycle so like like, yeah so like i purposely wouldn't help my mom cook and i didn't learn how to cook because i was like that's like, I'm just not going to fall into that role. Like, I'll never be that. Um, but, like, that was, that was like, so many families, right, where moms cook and maybe, if they're lucky, dads do the dishes. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, kind of how the role it was. Yeah. So I think with, like, my husband and I, we we are showing our boys, like, like we both cook. We both clean. We get them involved in cooking already. So King is going to be three in March, and he helps us cook. He helps us. So cute. He helps us chop. He he wants like he cracks eggs into a pan, and so I just think I'll I'll bring them up, not knowing about whose role it is to be in the kitchen, but also how to take care of themselves. Yeah, and Um, good nutritious food. Exactly. Exactly. That like tastes good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Make it fun. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. That's cool. Um. So at like throughout your whole soccer career, did you always have male coaches or did you have a mixture of both? Um, I had one or two really great female coaches who really, really changed my, like who really made an impact on me. Mm -hmm. They definitely did. Um, I had great coaches who made an impact on me throughout my life, but like one coach in particular in under 15s on the provincial team, she really made a positive impact on me she was very tough but she was very fair Mm -hmm. and um I always like I'm a people pleaser like that's why I think I did well in sports and I do well in sports is because like if you tell me to do something I'm gonna do it 
but if you don't tell me to do it, I'm not going to do it. So like, I'm not the kid that's like at home practicing over and over and over again, unless someone told me to do that. Yeah. Right. And, um, I found that like with a lot of the male coaches, like they don't show that they're pleased. So like, it never felt like, it never felt like I was doing enough. That's super insightful. I I definitely resonate with that. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like the female coach, like she, she knew how to tell me that that was good or what I was doing was right. Or she appreciated my effort. Um, And so it just felt different playing for her. Yeah. I find like the reason I asked, there's so many coaches that I've been talking to lately and they're male for the most part and, and even female coaches too, but they're like, how do we, all this new information coming about female athletes and how our physiology is different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back when we played high level sports, there was no consideration for yeah, that. No. And I think we went into like weight rooms and doing things that made no sense for our bodies and training with our cycle wasn't even a real mm-hmm. thing, you know? Yeah. So I think like it was always helpful to have female coaches because at least they understood. Yeah, they definitely understood. And you could use words to be like, this is not a great week or, you know, and to be able to convey that I think was helpful. So yeah, I find like, and you probably see in, in your line of work now too, of, of using the right terminology or, or having space for those type of things. Yeah. Do you find like, it's almost a disadvantage to give lenience to the physiology of females? No, no, I wouldn't call it like a disadvantage as an athlete or a coach. Sorry. In the sense, like if, um, kind of giving them an excuse, no, you know what I mean? it's a reality. It's yeah. not an excuse. Yeah. That'd be like, <clears throat> that'd be like, um, like me today, like training at 85% with multiple deadlifts, cleans and bench yesterday. And then coming in today and doing a workout and being like, it's not an excuse why I went slow. It's the reality of what I did yesterday and the effect that had on my body, on my central nervous system. And even mentally, like I gave it all yesterday. I can't give it all again today. Mm-hmm. Like it's just not, doesn't work like that. And that's like, that's your menstrual cycle. And that's your, you know, like it's, that's just the reality. Like <clears throat> certain days in my cycle, I'm a beast. Mm-hmm. Like I will go above and beyond anybody's expectations. I'll feel like a superhero. And literally the next day I'm peeling myself up off the bench to lift a lightweight and like I'm not faking that, so like I understand mm-hmm. when when women are feeling the way they're feeling. Yeah. Um, and like it, it's never an excuse, especially when you're working with high level athletes, because they want they want to give, they want to push. Yeah. They want to be working better, feeling better. And they'll do anything around it to mm-hmm. account for that. Yeah. Too, hey? yeah. Yeah. There's a difference between like. Being like, hey, there's a 10K run today. Me being like, oh my God, I'm on my period. I can't. <laughs> or like being like, okay, there's a 10K run today. And me like trying my hardest and being like, that was 10 minutes slower than my best time on a 10K. Because the reality is. The reality is, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like the way that you put that too. And I think it's even good for me to hear the right words and especially the words to convey that appropriately to other coaches for them to go educate based on that too, because sometimes there's a communication gap and that can be a game changer for an athlete. Yeah. I've just heard so many, like I heard a crappy story today from, I got, I took King to get his haircut and there's a lady whose daughter used to play hockey for a school that shall not be named, but it doesn't exist anymore. And (laughs) yeah. And, uh, She's known as, like, she's, like, pretty dramatic. Like, she's a drama queen. Like, her mom was like, you know, she's, like, 
a drama queen, um, but she was at a tournament and she was pushed into the boards and after the five minutes of laying on the ice, she went to the bench and she threw up and was hysterical. And they were like, she's just being a drama queen. And then she got on the bus and she was hysterical and threw up again. And they were like, oh, classic her being a drama queen. Um, so they gave her some NyQuil. And then when she woke up again, she was still hysterical. So they reassessed her and she had a, her shoulder was out. So she had separated her shoulder. When she got home after the 18-hour drive... Mm-hmm where they didn't take her to the hospital. She got home. Her mom took her to the hospital. She also had a broken clavicle. You know what? I wish this story was like more shocking to me, but there's stuff that I hear like this constantly. And I think like, it's so important to know your athletes too, you know, and, and give them the benefit of the doubt. Even if you don't know your athletes, just pretend like you don't know this person. Yeah. Like take, strip away your knowledge of who that person is. If someone's hysterical and throwing up, Mm -hmm. And complaining of that much pain, you take them to the hospital. Yeah. And take you seriously, first of all, and then take them to the hospital. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that, like, that breaks my heart to hear that. And hopefully that's not uh, conditioning for her. You know, hopefully that that, yeah, there's a chance that it will be, but hopefully people are, you know, took the responsibility to say, hey, we messed up there. Yeah. I would hope so. Yeah. And if not, then, like, I know, I know that she's working with. Um, a coach at a at a gym in Truro, and I know who that coach is, and that coach is amazing. She's in good hands. She's eh? in great hands. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's so important just to even have these conversations because I think they're slowly starting to happen. Yeah, for sure. But there's still like huge gaps of knowledge. There's yes, and there are, and it's like they're slowly starting to happen for younger athletes. Mm-hmm. But like, there's still a lot of female athletes who are just working to like working out to be fit or training like ex-athletes like myself who like, you know, are still treating ourselves like, like an old school coach where like, like I told you guys, like last week I hit myself in the head and, you know, we joked around, used the phrase, I got my bell rung and Mm -hmm. I just kept working out where it's like, and like my first words were like, is it a concussion? Exactly. Like, yeah, and exactly. not to overemphasize these things, but you got to check in with you that gotta, stuff, right? Yeah. Because we're so conditioned for that response of being like, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Get out the next shift. Yeah. Keep playing. Um, and that's not like, so that's like not the legacy that I want my kids to see mm-hmm. is, is that like, there's like, that's something that's a reminder to me to be like, if I quote unquote, get my bell rung and my son's watching me, what, what do I want him to see me do? To take care of yourself, 100%, right? Exactly. And it's kind of like even further progression into that. Like you and I have talked about this a million times too of of training every day, all day in the most stressful lifestyle. And I see it time and time again with females and so do you, right? And I think like that education piece is massive too. Like slow down, take care of your body. There's no sense driving it into the ground because you need it. Yeah. 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 And I mean... Like, that's why I liked weightlifting. Weightlifting really changed my perspective on... Because so I went from soccer, and then I went from soccer to doing nothing for a few years. What was doing nothing like? Um, I mean, it was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, everyone needs to get that out of Yeah, it was fun. It was, like, I mean, I grew up in PEI, like athletes. Like, when I, I played rugby in high school, and my... <laughs> my initiation to the team was smoke this cigarette and then shoot this half pint of tequila. Like, PEI, <laughs> like, athletes still know how to party quite a bit. Like, it's not, like, those two things go hand in hand. But, like, um, but then when I went to university, like, I, like, I was the captain of the team for a few years and, like, I 
took that so seriously that like I did not want anybody else on the team to see me hammered so like I wouldn't I would never I would be the least drunk person in the room always yeah and those are those leadership roles too like sometimes you have to sacrifice no one asked me to do that I just felt like I needed to Mm -hmm. and also just watching like younger girls come into the team and be like taking care of them yeah just really worried about the situations that they put themselves in so I thought I had to be on top of that a little bit um but then after university like yeah I just kind of I was like okay well let's try this let's try this let's go back (laughs) to those PEI days and yeah yeah, um but then uh it was fun for a while and then my brother introduced me to CrossFit he tried to get me to start and I was like nope um that seems insane (laughs) and um it it took him three months of convincing me to start and then he showed me this video of uh the CrossFit Games and this athlete named Kristen Clever is like um, I think she's Japanese American and she's five two, shaped like a mini fridge, mm-hmm. and she had a mohawk and she was just ripping off strict handstand push ups, like her time on a Diane, which is twenty one fifteen nine reps of handstand push ups and deadlifts was like the same or better than most of the guys. I was just like, Okay. That if that's CrossFit and she's CrossFit, then I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy because I think like one of my highlights of CrossFit to you, and, and not that I do the sport, but I I watched you, I think seven or eight months pregnant yeah. Yeah. one time in a CrossFit Open yeah. workout, and I was like, huh, yeah. the body is capable of amazing, things. amazing things. Yeah, and it I think is. CrossFit really highlighted that. Yeah. yeah, yes, it did, especially for women. It did, yeah, and like did really she really stood out to me. Like she was wearing like a muscle tank and and like soccer shorts. And, like, that appealed to me. Like, I think what didn't appeal to me, like, I love Camille LeBlanc-Bazinet. Like, she was an awesome athlete. She is an awesome athlete. I like her as a person, as a human. Um, she's a Canadian CrossFit athlete who won the games before. Um, but she, like, she wore, like, short shorts and pink. And ev- all the girls at the gym that I went to were, like, you know, back when Lululemon was just, like, pink, yellow, and purple. <laughs> And, uh, I just didn't fit into that scene. So like that really was one of the reasons, honest reasons why I didn't want to join because I just didn't like, I just, it felt like it didn't feel sporty to me. Mm -hmm. It felt like a group, like a, like a group of cool kids, but (laughs) not like, yeah, but not like, 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 not like a team. Okay. Didn't matter. Like. It felt like people were trying to fit into what CrossFit looked like. Mm-hmm. And, like, that pushed me away more than it lured me in. Yeah. And then I saw Chris Clover, and I was like, okay. I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. And I can be that. Yeah. And so, like, literally I was wearing, like, Converse, my soccer shorts, and, like, some pennies I stole from Dal. <laughs> for like my first back. <laughs> yeah for my first three years at crossfit um, that's so cool too and i think like that's one of the appealing things about crossfit like it showed this physique that and i think you and i had had this discussion before too like when you're an athlete like my thighs are never gonna be small i am this shape and this build and i could work out all day every day and it's they're only going to get bigger yeah you know so i think even growing up and i know you felt this way a little bit too like this physique doesn't always make sense or fit in with the other girls you know and I love CrossFit for that because it showed this other side of things and what and it was like yeah no I could look I do look like that yeah yeah 
yeah. maybe not to the like, extent God, of this high phys- level. <laughs> this physique didn't fit into anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I used to, I used to cry at night because I want, I just wanted to be skinny. Mm-hmm. I just wanted so badly for my thighs not to touch. Mm-hmm. And like, not only not touch, but they like chafe in the summertime. Oh yeah. Big yeah. time. And like yeah. you would have raw rashes after going yeah. for runs and stuff. And 100%. some girls' legs were so far apart. And not that that's, there's nothing wrong with that either, right? No. It's just, you always want 100% what you can't have sometimes, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's just what, like, that's just what the beauty standards were. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, there was no shape magazine in the in the aisles in PEI. It was just Cosmo. Yeah. And it was just, like, YM magazine or whatever and teen magazine. And nobody looked the way I looked. Yeah. And it was, it's almost devastating too, right? You're, and then you look at everyone at school and you look at the clothes and those clothes wouldn't even come close to fitting me. You know? Yeah. No. It just didn't make sense. So I think like a lot of, and that, that even with the magazines and even with the stuff, like there's so many girls that have these issues of, of wishing to look like someone else or something mm-hmm. else. And it's, it causes so much, um, inner turmoil that can lead to disease yeah. or disease, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I think, um, so many people, when we get to the root of it, when I talk to them, it's like this feeling of unworthiness or not good enough. And then they complete all of these tasks all day long to try to feel good enough or try to do more and more and more and more and more. And that, and then we start to see burnout and then we start to see dysfunction, you know? So it's, it's a bigger problem than yeah. we think it is. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. And it like affects more people. If it, if like, like. People wouldn't imagine that it that it affected me. It's not like I talked about it. Mm-hmm. People didn't know yeah. that I cried myself to sleep because because my thighs were huge. Mm-hmm. Or it's just confusing, right? You're yeah. like, how the heck did this happen? Yeah, you know. And like my mom's tiny. Like my mom's also five foot two, but she weighs like ninety nine pounds. Mm-hmm. So like, where did I come from? Yeah. And like, I think, I think with with CrossFit, you know, like. People would be like, ah, like Mel, I want your legs. And it wasn't just, I think anybody could say that to me and I would just roll my eyes. Mm -hmm. But it was because of what they were capable of. Not just because they looked muscular. Mm -hmm. Because they were capable. Because they wanted to lift like I lifted. They wanted to move weight like I moved weight or move the way I moved. Mm -hmm. And that felt like a real compliment. Was that like the turning point for you to be able to see the strength in your body, to be able to yeah. love it? Kind yeah, because it was never like that in sport. Mm-hmm. Soccer's not like soccer's like a big leg sport, but it's a very small upper body sport because like you're like running miles and miles in a game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so my body still didn't fit in in soccer, yeah. and I was very aware of that. Would in the locker say, room. Yeah. yeah. Would you say there was like kind of uh, this thing too where you were naturally a gifted athlete, yeah. right? And CrossFit, I mean, there's sure natural gifts to it, but you got to work for those you work. too, right? Yeah. Was there anything tied around that that made a lot of sense to you too or a sense of accomplishment? Um. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like what the work you put in is what is what you get out of it. But also like, I mean, I was a naturally gifted athlete. I'm like a fast switch muscle athlete. So that's pretty helpful in CrossFit. Yeah, for sure. Um, it is. Um, and it's kind of interval training, which will eventually help you with your endurance and your long, your longer workouts. Mm -hmm. So like it made me better at the things I was bad at without putting me in a headspace. That's like, just go run 10 K. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the cardio part. Exactly. Exactly. Um, 
But yeah, like, I don't know. I, I actually, I don't think it was like I was working for the reward. I just was working for the, like, I liked the work. So like, I wasn't working hard and being like, yeah, like the harder I work, the better I get. I just like the work. Okay. Yeah. Filtering things out of your system. Kind yeah. Of. Just like, I just love training. Yeah. I love training. And that's, that's the kind of soccer athlete I was like, if we had practiced three times a day, I would enjoy every single practice. Mm-hmm. three times a day like I didn't care like that's I think that's what I miss most that's the hardest thing I think that's that's like any let's say I was a professional athlete but like professional athletes I'm not sure that they miss the rings they miss they miss like the lifestyle yeah they miss the team yeah they miss that purpose and direction yeah Yeah. exactly in the direction like Mm -hmm. we are like we are people like you just tell us what to do and we'll do it just tell me what to do and I'll do it and like that's what training is for me whatever you put on the board Whatever my program says, I'm going to do it. And, like, if I don't want to do it, it doesn't matter. It's written. Do it. Got to get it done. Got to get it done. Um, And that's what I liked about it. Um, It just put me – it made me step outside my comfort zone. Makes me all the time. Mm -hmm. And then you you feel accomplished afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any, like, highlights of your CrossFit career thus far? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess uh, I – went to made it to regionals mm-hmm. so it's a pretty huge accomplishment yeah yeah it was and it was pretty early on in my crossfit career um so i i uh i went to regionals i don't know i mean it was 2014 um and so it was i was you had to be top 50 east of like ontario mm-hmm. and i think i was top 50 out of like at the time it was like 3,000 people or 4,000 people. It was a lot. I just remember being like, wow, this many people are doing CrossFit. (laughs) Um, So that was like, that was a really good experience. And that's not like I went there and I like destroyed the competition because I had um, very last workout of the open, which allows you to make it to regionals, five workouts in five weeks and the top 50 results go to regionals. I, in the last workout, I was walking to work that that day and I slipped and I fell and I hit my hip and I didn't think anything of it. And that night the workout was released and it was thrusters and bar over burpees. And I was like, yeah, we're doing it tonight. And so I did it. And I was like, I think the rep scheme was like 27, 21, 15, nine. And I was in the round of 15s and I think it was on rep 12. Like I remember this, I was on rep 12 and I jumped (laughs) over the bar and I felt my back go. Um, and I was like, well, I got to finish this workout because if I don't finish, I won't get a score and I won't get to regionals. Um, so I finished it and then, yeah, I herniated, had herniated a disc and I lost the, the function of my quad in my right leg. And so my training for regionals was literally, literally just rehab. rehab. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And regionals was like a one RM hang snatch, pistols, wall balls, oh, no. deadlifts, rowing, box jumps, everything you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Would you ever want to get back there or was it just one experience enough for you to Um no. I don't need to get back. I hate I hated doing the open. That was so stressful for me. Um I would say that like I was not a very good competitor headspace wise in CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was much better at team competitions. I wasn't comfortable winning and I wasn't comfortable losing. 
Is it because you would be so hard on yourself either way? Yeah. Like if you won, you could have done better. And if you... If I won, I could have done better. And if I won, then people expect me to win all the time. And that's not just cross... Like, like that's not CrossFit. It's not like that. Like you have... I wasn't that kind of athlete. So like if you serve me up strength mixed with speed, I'm going to win. You put like a row in there, a five foot two, like that's... It's real tough for me. Um, I'm much better at it now, but like, it's just like, it's like anybody's going to get those setbacks, but like those setbacks were mental setbacks for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think mentally team stuff was like the better thing for me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I would love to be able to do that. I would love to be able to go to competitions with people at the gym. I would love to be able to join my husband and do team competitions but like I'll never be able to do that again because of my um after having my breast removed and some nerve damage like I just I mean I I can't do gymnastics movements I can't snatch and those are things that are like integral to any CrossFit competition so I mean I could try but then I wouldn't be able to lift my children up and I wouldn't be able to sleep at night for God knows how long. So it's just not worth it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us. So that's like a good transition, actually. Um, Tell us like a little quick timeline of of what I want people to get an idea of of what you've gone through in the past two years, essentially. Two, three, three. Yeah. Yeah. So I was uh, so in CrossFit because I wasn't mentally handling it so well, I transitioned to becoming a weightlifter. And that's something that like really, like if I could do anything competitively again, it would be weightlifting. Nothing to me felt better than standing on a platform and lifting weight. And you killed it at that too. Killed it. Yeah. I did really well. Like I I did really well Mm -hmm. for like, for as much time as I put into the sport. Mm -hmm. I made it to nationals twice, came fifth at nationals the first time. Um, to, and just loved it. Loved the training loved everything about it, loved the grind. It just went against everything that I was used to, which is like instant gratification, sprint, tackle, sprint, tackle, Mm -hmm. you know? So it was just like this long ass grind of training and like maybe you put a pound on your snatch in a year. And like, I grew to like that. Yeah. Um, um, so I, I was training for nationals and I tore my patellar tendon. And so Blake and I, my husband and I were like, I'm going to be out for a year anyway. Let's have a kid. Timing and, is perfect. Yeah. I'm like, you better stop training because I'm going to have a kid. <laughs> if, we're, if I'm doing this, you're doing this with me. Um, so we had my first king, um, which was awesome um, because also the hormones that um, were running through my body when I was uh, pregnant really, really helped my knee heal. Um, so by the time I had king, my knee was like... I had an MRI and like there was no tear. That's so awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. I also did some like some a lot of therapy and yeah, stuff. And yeah, stuff, yeah. Um, so, uh, I was breastfeeding King, um, uh, and he. I was starting to wean him. I think he was about eleven months old. So I had him in March, and this was February, and I had noticed like I noticed like a lump in my right breast. Um, on the side and I thought it like I it wasn't normal for for someone to have like uh, I think it's called um, mastitis 
which is like when you get a blocked duct when you're breastfeeding, like that normally happens in your first few months um, because you're not like expressing all the milk. So the milk stays in your duct and it turns into like an infection and it's gross and painful. Um, but like I hadn't really heard of anybody getting that this far, in the this game. far into the game. Um, but like I kind of was just like telling myself like it's a blocked duct or it's like a little infection. I didn't feel sick, but what I was telling myself so and I was only breastfeeding on the right side so I was like maybe something to do with that don't know um and so I had mentioned it to Blake and he was like if it doesn't go away let's just go to the doctor um and then I kind of just like pushed it down didn't want to think about it and so King was kind of self-weaning a little bit himself so it wasn't drink like drinking as much from the breast and so I noticed that my breasts were getting smaller because I wasn't breastfeeding as much Um, but this lump was getting bigger and every time I went to the washroom and I started to wash like my armpit area, I felt it and it went from being like, um, this is gross to, um, I don't even want to put my hand in my armpit because it it makes me feel sick to my stomach and it, it did make me feel sick to my stomach and like, I'm a pretty instinctual reactive person and I, I, I know that 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 reaction was telling, you something. telling me something. Yeah. So like, I actually like got out of the shower one day and was like, Blake, like I feel sick to my stomach. Like I'm so stressed out about this lump. How long did you leave it for? Uh, well, like maybe I guess I felt it in like around January and this was probably, yeah, probably like March, the end of February, March, maybe that I, was like I can't do this anymore so I booked an appointment with my doctor Blake was just like book an appointment right now and like we didn't think breast cancer because like why why would I have breast cancer yeah. you know like I wouldn't think that as a first thought for anybody my age mm-hmm. um I didn't know anybody my age who was diagnosed with breast cancer I hadn't like it wasn't even on my mind but it just still didn't make me feel good like it so booked an appointment it was two months before I got to see, so yeah, March, April, May, I got to see my doctor in May. Um, and so my doctors are amazing. I two women that share a practice, um, but because they're amazing and they also deliver children, babies. So because of that, it's hard to get in to see them. If you have something wrong with you, like you can get in right away. But like, I wasn't, I wasn't going to tell the receptionist, like I have the, like this I have may a lump. Or may not be yeah, yeah, I have a lump on my breast. Can you bump me up? Even though in hindsight, that's exactly what you should say. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I'm not going to use that. Like anybody who's listening to this right now, if that if that's what you feel and you, they say yeah, you can come in in two months. Like, don't wait for that. Like go, get in sooner, mm-hmm. um, because that's how important thing these things are. Um, so when I went to see my doctor. She felt that by that point, I wasn't breastfeeding at all. And at that point, like my breast was actually bigger because the lump had grown so much in two months. Mm -hmm. So like I was dealing now with like a right breast that was bigger than my left breast because the lump inside of it was growing so much. Um, So the doctor felt it and she was like, well, no, you know. It's suspicious, but it's not that suspicious. So let's just get you a mammogram and an ultrasound, and we'll just see. 
and but I don't want you to worry about it. And I was like, okay, great. And um, so just like just to let you know what I was feeling. So like I was feeling basically on the side of my breast towards my armpit. If you took your knuckles and you rubbed your hand across your your fingers across your knuckles, that's what I felt. So it felt like a mountain range uh, underneath my skin. It was hard and it was fixed. It wasn't moving underneath my skin. It didn't feel like fat. Um, painful? Uh, yeah. So it started to become painful, especially towards my armpit. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I went in for my mammogram and the ultrasound and the lady in the ultrasound was actually like, I don't see anything. Like I actually don't even see the lump. And I was like, can you feel it? Cause like, I can feel it. And she's like, barely. And I was like, okay, well maybe I'm overreacting <laughs> to this. Um, and then my doctor called me like a week later and she was like, okay, well they want to do a biopsy on it. I was like, okay. And she's like, this is completely normal. It's just to rule things out. We're just going to te- test the cells. Um, so I went in for my biopsy and the biopsy, like they put your breast in the mammogram machine so that they can see where your lump is. Um, and then, uh, they basically take like an air gun, like a hollow needle and pump, like shoot it in mm-hmm. to your breast and, and the lump. Sounds aggressive. Yeah, it's aggressive. So like it fills the, fills the needle up with the skin. And so they, they did it in the area that I felt the lump. And then they were like, okay, we want to do it on the other side of your breast. And I was like, why? And they're like, cause, because the mammogram showed that there was another lump on the other side. There's another area on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, like, I didn't feel a lump. I didn't know that there was something else. So that was, like, kind of scared me a little bit. Um, And they ended up doing, like, 15 punctures on one side, 12 punctures on the other side. So, yeah, so, like, like, I, it was a lot. It bled a lot. There's, like, blood, like, had splashed on my face and stuff. I'm also, like, I work out a lot, so, like, I'm highly (laughs) vascular. So, like, there's blood everywhere. It surprised them. Um... But I had this experience with uh, the lady who was giving me the the uh, biopsy where she, um, we were talking because I talked to everybody about everything personal and she had mentioned that she had come to see Warren who works here at Proactive, owns Proactive, mm-hmm. and we were talking about what a great practitioner he was and then we started like getting more personal about kids and stuff and I was telling her that I have a son and... Um, and then, like, they have to check the like check the cells. So they'll look, put them on a slide. They'll go and they'll check them just to make sure that they have a good sample of of what they're looking for. And like, they went, and they did that. She did that with the doctor, and then came back and she's like, "Yeah, we we have a good sample." And she's like, "I just I just want you to know that I'm going to be praying for you and your family." And I was like, "Okay, thanks." And then I left, and I was like, "Okay, that was." like ominous and mm-hmm. weird and it doesn't feel good. Like why would you pray Say for that. someone if yeah. you didn't think that they had cancer? Yeah. Um, so that like made my heart sink and it's just a weird feeling. Like I had gone by myself, you know, like you look around and you see these women who are like in their sixties, fifties, seventies, um, who are just there for mammograms or whatever. And you just feel like I shouldn't be here. What's yeah. going on? Like, and it's like, I mean, anyone's worst nightmare, but especially 
at your age, you know? And I don't know why specifically age has so much to do with it, but, like, there's no predisposing factors or nothing like you're so healthy and so healthy and i think that that's what scares everyone about cancer right that there has to be some sort of reasoning for it exactly Mm -hmm. yeah and just like just like could i have cancer and that these ladies don't right like what the hell like what's happening Mm -hmm. um anyway so i left and i went home and uh my husband's like an internal optimist so he was just like, nope, it's fine. You don't have cancer. That lady was just, I don't know, being weird. Maybe she prays for everybody, you know? What an um, interesting choice of words, though, to come out with and say, hey. Yeah. 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 Maybe it would have been better with nothing or? Um. Yeah, for me, because I read into everything. Like, I'm the kind of person that I'm, like, looking at your body language and I'm looking at where you're looking. Are you making eye contact with me? What are your hands doing? Like, I'm, I'm that kind of visual person, so I'm soaking it all in. So, like, her mannerisms made me feel like she saw something that made her feel bad for me. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't, I'm not the kind of person that people feel bad for. You don't know time. what to do with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I actually, I don't think anyone's ever, like, it's not something I recognize ever. Yeah. Because I would never, even if I was injured or I hurt myself, like, I keep going in a workout and I go home Mel's and then it. I'm like, okay, I hurt my back. Mm-hmm. Like, I in private. <laughs> yeah, right? So, like, that kind of sympathy, and I wouldn't call it empathy, it was sympathy, mm-hmm. um, struck me I and bet. didn't make me feel good mm-hmm. um yeah so it's a two week you have to wait two weeks to get your results back um, so you're just sitting with this so you're just sitting with it and i was fine mm-hmm. i was fine like you know you can't just sit around for two weeks and cry you can but mm-hmm. it's not productive and i i have like a, at this point like at this point it was like um june or july Right. So, um, you got a baby. Yeah. I have a one and a half year old and I'm working and I'm coaching people and I'm trying to inspire people every day. Like nobody wants their coach on the floor to like be like three, two, one with tears in their eyes. You know, it's the same feeling that that lady would give me. Like, I don't like, I don't want to throw people off like that. So it was, Work was a blessing in that way that it just, like, I had to put it behind me, and I did. Like, we have this thing at Blended where it's, like, whatever you're going through, you just don't bring that onto the floor. You can't inspire people with your sadness or your anger or your fear. So... Technically, you have with all of those three emotions, yeah, I'm sure. But. Yeah, but not, like, in the moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can in, in, like, when you take a step back and you tell your story, but, mm-hmm. like, not in the moment. And it was, wasn't the place, so... Um, but it helped me. It helped me to just keep moving forward, and yeah. I enjoyed that. Um, I knew the date that I was supposed to get my results back, and the day before, I went into work, and I felt fine, normal, and, like, it just, I started thinking about those results, and uh, I ended up having an anxiety attack, and it was the first time I'd ever had one in my life. Um, I went in the bathroom, and I just couldn't breathe. Um, I was so scared. It just hit me for the first time that like I could get a phone call that changes my life, that changes my son's life, that changes my husband's life, everybody. My mom, my mom had, her mom died of cancer. Her dad died of cancer. Her little sister died of cancer when she was three. Mm -hmm. Like I just felt like I can't 
I can't die of cancer. I can't do that to my mom. No one deserves that. Like, I felt that's what, like, scared me the most. I think that put me over the edge. Would just, be telling her. Would be telling her. Um, and I just, I just started to cry and I couldn't breathe. And thankfully, my boss, Dave, at, at Blendon was like, go home. Like, he's like, you're going to be okay, but just go home. Go home, be with your family, do what you need to do. So I went home and, uh, yeah, the next day I got a phone call and my doctor told me to come into the office and, um, she brought me in and she was like, so the results are back and Blake was with me, my husband, thank God. And she's like, it's, it's cancer. And, and I remember seeing her start to cry. I remember Blake starting to cry. And I was just angry. I just got angry. I was so pissed off. I just, like, I don't, I don't think I've ever had a reaction like that before. Like, anger's not my go-to reaction ever. Like, I'm a, I would say since I had kids, I'm like a crier for sure. Um, but I was just like, like, it was just like steam was coming out of my ears. If you could like put into words now what your brain was thinking, was there anything that came up? Yeah, like, like that regular stuff. That's like, why? Why me? I don't, I don't have time for this. Like, I don't have time for this. My, I have a baby. Like, like this is wrong. The results are wrong. Um, what am I supposed to do with this? Um, I remember my doctor, like, went to hug me. She's the best. And I just walked away. <laughs> I think, like, she told my husband that the surgeon and the hospital were going to call. Um, but, like, I didn't hear it. And, uh, I just stormed out. I just stormed out of a doctor's office, walked through, like, I know people were looking at me and my husband crying. He was crying. And I just was like, I just pissed. pissed. Yeah. Um, and got in the car and Blake was like, where, like, what do you want to do? Like, where do we go? And I was like, let's just go to the gym. And so we went to the gym and, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I'm glad that I did because uh, I just walked in the door and I just told whoever I saw and they just helped me. And so my boss held me and my community held me. I remember like my friend, Brittany Clancy, saw her and she just like, she held me. Uh, <sighs> Was that helpful? Yeah, it's what I needed. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, I'm not crying because I feel sad for the Mel in that moment. Mm -hmm. I'm crying because I'm so grateful that I had those people. Yeah. And I think if I had gone home, I would have felt sorry for myself. And I would have felt lost. And I went there, and I felt like everybody just said, like, we're going to be okay. Like, nobody made me feel like it was my problem that I was going through. And I'm so lucky, like... Like, it's not easy to stand up in front of people and coach them every day when you are supposed to leave all your problems behind and, like, motivate people to be their best, to do their best, to push outside of their comfort zone in a way that, like, makes sense to people going through different things all the time. It's really, it's not easy to do that all the time, but, like, in that moment, in that day, it's like, that's why I do this, because... I invested so much of my time and my care and my heart in these people. And when I needed it most, they gave it all back to me. 
That's so powerful, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it just set the tone for my cancer experience because, because I opened up and I let these people in that I couldn't push them back out again. So they were with me every single step of the way. And, you know, like, it's fine. I just kind of laughed because, like, I was just hanging out with Brittany Clancy tonight, you know, and she was making fun of me, but also cheering for me during my workout when I was suffering. And it's just like, you know, these people just, uh, like, it brought us all closer. And, like, it made me feel like, you know, like, I had a doctor telling me, my doctor telling me, like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this together. We're going to make you healthy. And it just felt like words. Mm-hmm. And then I had my community telling me. And uh, it felt real. Felt like strength? It felt like strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like, you know a doctor has to say that. And, um, but, like... With my community, it felt like no matter what happens, they're going to be there. Mm -hmm. Like, so if something happens to me, like, I have, like, 350 people who can tell my kids what I was like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty powerful move. Like, I, I, I would imagine that would be one of the most difficult days of someone's life. I'd say it was the most difficult day of my cancer journey. Mm-hmm. One of them. And did you yeah. feel like called to go to the gym? Like I feel like in that moment yes. decision making would have been skewed, right? Yeah. I just like it wasn't it wasn't a doubt. Like Blake's like, where do you want to go? And I said the gym. And uh he just was like, Yep. And he went. And like Blake's different. Like, you know, he's he's not like me in that like he's gonna tell everybody his deepest, darkest fears, <laughs> like even me, like I have to pull them out of him. Um <laughs> But I didn't even know where he was. Like, I went inside, and I was enveloped Mm -hmm. by my community, and it turns out he was outside (laughs) um, on the sidewalk being held up by someone. So he didn't want to go in and share his pain with everybody, Mm -hmm. but because it's our community and because they love us, um, Jason, who works at the gym, he went outside Mm -hmm. looking for Blake and he held him up. He understood that part yeah. of things too. Which yeah. is even more amazing in a community setting where people not only understand you, but they understand your family. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. Pretty wild. Yeah. And it's it's good too because it allowed us like I don't like I didn't want Blake in that moment. And that's not to say that we don't have a great relationship mm-hmm. because it's the best relationship in my life. But it was just sad on sad. You know, like yeah. two people who didn't know what to do mm-hmm. with themselves and with their emotions. So we couldn't hold each other up because we didn't know what we needed mm-hmm. in that moment. And so he got what he needed and I got what I needed. And then we were able to go home and help each other, which was better. With a little bit of strength yeah, from everyone else. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So from there, then what was the progression of things? So the progression after that was I uh, met with my surgeon and uh, she said, um, she looked at everything, um, and, uh, she said that they have to do a mastectomy. So they had to remove my right breast completely. It couldn't just be a lumpectomy because it turns out that I had cancer, like, throughout my whole breast. So if it's drawn into quarters, there is cancer in every quarter of my breast. I'm really lucky that on, in one quarter it was close to the surface and I felt it um, because I couldn't feel it 
anywhere else, even though it had spread throughout my whole breast. All of my, all of my ducks. Mm-hmm. Um, the good news is that from what she saw, it looked like they call it, um, like in situ. So the, the cancer was located in my breast ducts and it didn't look like it had spread beyond them. Um, which means it was a stage zero. So like, which means like, um, if it, if it had bust out beyond those breasts, uh, those milk ducts, then I probably would have needed chemo. Mm-hmm. But of course, like my, my surgeon was great. And she said, like, it looks like it's all in the breast, in the milk ducts. So if that stays the case, then we can get away with just removing your breast. Um, Even that sentence is mind blowing in itself. Right? Yeah. And like, I had never had surgery before ever. I hadn't broken a bone, like I've herniated my disc. Like that was really painful and stuff, but like, I didn't know what surgery was like. I didn't know recovery times. Yeah. How intense it was. Yeah. Going under that has a whole host exactly. of issues. Exactly. Um, but I mean, luckily I've never been someone that's like really tied to high breasts. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't like, I didn't, there was never a moment where like we were like like pour one out for my breasts or my like my female body because that's gonna be gone. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't think of it like that. I just was like, get this fucking cancer out of me and let's just like I need to live. So like I gotta take care of my son and like we had planned on having another kid and we were actually trying when I was diagnosed f- to have my other child. Mm-hmm. So like it wasn't like it just didn't even dawn on me not to say that later on post surgery i didn't have struggle with body issues because i t- i did mm-hmm. um but at the time it was just like such a time thing like get, this get out. it out mm-hmm. um but so that's the one thing is that the doctor was like it is a very it's it's a it's a stage 0 but it's a grade 3 mm-hmm. cancer which means it's the fastest type of growing cancer so she's like we have to get this out as soon as possible um so i think it was like a 3 week wait and then i i went in for my surgery um they do take out your lymph nodes so or test your lymph nodes so she did say like we'll go into your armpit whatever like so the night for the surgery they inject your breast with a dye um and then whatever lymph nodes have the dye in it, they'll take them out because they want to test those lymph nodes to see if, like, the cancer has spread. Yeah. Um, so um, so the night before, they injected the dye, and I think, like, that moment was the second hardest moment in my cancer uh, journey because I went in with my friend... Um, Sandy, she came with me. She's a nurse. She's a, I like to joke that she's a sociopath. She's a nurse. She like doesn't feel things, <laughs> but she, um, definitely felt this experience the same as I did. Um, so it's the IWK. It's a women and children's hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but where I went to have the dye injected was the children's part. And I walked into this room and, uh, there was a little girl there with her brother and her mom and her dad. And she was in a house coat and pajamas and she had no hair and um it just like you could tell like she was a cancer patient and she lived at the hospital um and I walked into the room and she looked at me and she said I didn't even cry today and she was so proud of herself and Sam, Sandy and I looked at her each other and we were just like 
holy shit. Mm. Like, didn't cry in front of her, but the nurse took me to another room, and then I just broke down crying, and the nurse was like, I know, it's really tough, like, you have a big surgery tomorrow, and I was like, no, I'm not crying about myself, like, this actually puts things into perspective, I'm like, crying about that, like, toughest nails little girl out there, and her family, and what they're battling, and she said, yeah, like, she's been here for the last five years, in and out, and, uh, but she's doing better, she's turning around, and I just, like, that just put things into perspective, big time for me, that, like, I would take cancer a million times before my kids ever got cancer. I would take cancer a million times before that little girl ever got cancer. Like I would take it from her if I could Mm -hmm. in that moment. And I still would today. Mm -hmm. And, um, like it just like, it just made me seem like, it doesn't trivialize the fact that I had breast cancer, but it just like, I got to live like I was only 34, 35, but like, at least I got to live that long. At least I got to do all the things I wanted to do in my life and experience the things that I got to experience. And I just, all I could think about, and I still think about that little girl and just hope that she is experiencing the things that she wants to Mm -hmm. and that she's recovering and she's recovered and her poor family are able to enjoy their lives with her instead of like finding the silver lining to living in a hospital. Um, Do you feel like that was like, a little earthly message for yeah, you. Yeah, big time. Big time. I mean, anytime you walk into the IWK, if you open your eyes, you're going to get some big time messages mm-hmm. um, because it's full of little kids who are battling the toughest shit ever. And uh, it's fucking heartbreaking, but it's also like so inspirational. Mm-hmm. It's so inspirational. And like, because cause they just keep going. And that's all they know, right? Because when you're a kid, like, all you know is what's your immediate surrounding and what your immediate life is like. So they just make the best of what they they know. And uh, it's like, it was a huge time, like, eye-awakening, like, awakening moment for me, eye-opener, that, like, I'm really quite lucky and that I can make the best of this situation, too. Mm-hmm. And if this little girl can spend five years in a hospital and turn around and celebrate a day that she doesn't cry because she got some needles, then like, so can I. Yeah. Yeah. That's that even thought is is wild to put it in perspective. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget her. I still, I just have that, her face etched into my memory Mm -hmm. forever. I love her. She doesn't even know me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that night I went in for a workout and I just posted because the doctor was like, okay, well, we injected this dye, so think about, like, moving around a little bit so it spreads into your system. Okay, let's hit a wad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I can move around a little bit. So I went to the gym. I just posted, like, I'm coming in to do a workout before my surgery. Does anyone want to join me? God, I think there was, like, 50-something oh, people who came out and yeah. did this workout with me, and it was just a shit show because there was so many people. <laughs> there was no room for There was no room. And we, wow. and we, like, did all these movements that I really like that, like, I'm glad that I did because I haven't been able to do them since. Mm-hmm. Like, snatching and jerks and muscle-ups and, like, just, it was just a shit show, but it was just so beautiful, and I was so thankful. And my surgery was, like, 6 in the morning the next morning, and I just, like... It's exactly what I needed. I felt great. I felt great going into it. I felt so lucky, like, to be going into surgery, to have your breast removed for cancer, and to feel lucky, and to feel... Powerful. Yeah. Powerful, lucky, um, strong. I felt strong. um, Held up by my community. 
nobody was like I got like if 51 people came I got 51 hugs that night and like little energy yeah when people are sweaty I'm like please do not touch me (laughs) Uh, but I just I just took every single hug and that was like you know like I don't even think that the people at the gym realize how much that lifted me up and it still lifts me up still to this day like I look at that picture that we took that night every now and then and I'm like like I can like I can never feel alone like I remember being on teams before when I was younger and feeling alone and I have not felt alone with this community ever so rare yeah that's amazing yeah yeah yep so I went into my surgery. Um, it went really well. Um, I was really lucky because my friend Sandy, who accompanied me, the sociopath, <laughs> shout out Sandy, her partner Jen worked in the OR and she was my nurse. So, like through coincidence? Yeah, no, she. Well, made yeah, she worked with the surgeon, but mm-hmm. she made sure that she was on shift and she was the one to take me. So Jen walked me into the OR room. You walk in healthy. I was healthy. I just happened to have cancer. Mm-hmm. So I climbed up. I picked myself up and I climbed up onto that OR table and I laid down this cold metal sterile table. It's the weirdest experience ever. You just got full set of chills, man. Yeah, right? Because like most people, like it's not how I envisioned it. Like I thought I would be under and they wheel me into the OR room. But Jen, Jen like, oh, she's like, okay, and we'll go through these doors. And then I was like, oh, and she's like, hey, everybody, this is my friend Mel. <laughs> like, Mel, this is like, and introduced me to everybody in the room. And like, it's just really weird. But at the same time, like, if it wasn't for Jen, like, just acting like it's we walked okay. into a bar and she was introducing me to everybody she knew, like, it made me like, it made me laugh. And yeah. it made me feel really like, again, taken care of. Like, I'm so lucky throughout all of this experience to have these people um, just be there for me and, and hold me up. And, uh, yeah, before I climbed onto the table, my surgeon, who is a wonderful woman, embraced me, like, for, like, a full minute, (laughs) um, and was just like, I'm gonna take care of you, and I believed her, um, I believed her with every, like, fiber in my body, uh, which, um, I'm also really lucky, I've had some experiences with some male surgeons in my past where, like, I felt like they really do not care about what I'm telling them or what I need from them. Um, and she just like, she's, it's, she just blew that out of the water. She just, who does that, man? I know. So cool. So cool. Like, um, yep. So Jen was the last face I saw as I was going under, which is pretty funny. Uh, and then I woke up in the recovery room and, uh, I was in a lot of pain. Did you expect it to be like that? Uh, no, 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 I, no, no. So I don't think it should have been like that. Um, I, so like disclaimer, um, I suffer from migraines and I smoke a little bit of weed for my migraines. Mm -hmm. And if you smoke marijuana, pain medication does not have the same effect on you. It's also like, I'm not a competitor anymore. So it's fine. (laughs) It's fine. Yeah. Take it easy guys. Um, um, so I was honest about that with my nurses and with my doctor. So when they came over, I was like, I actually thought that like I was nauseous from the medication. So I was like, I'm going to throw up. And they were like, oh, you're, that's pain. Like you're reacting to the pain right now. Like we need to like give it's you. it's time for more medication. Yeah. It's time for more medication. Uh, and they gave me fentanyl, which is really like powerful. powerful. And 
like I can see why people overdose and die on it because like it literally just makes you forget to breathe mm-hmm. like I remember lying there and being like so conscious because it's not like morphine it doesn't make you weird and like messed up so like being conscious and being like I haven't actually taken a breath in a little bit maybe I should try that should out I? yeah but like with no panic like no panic whatsoever just being like I'm gonna breathe in now because wow. I should. Yeah. Because if I don't. It feels like time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like having this like conversation with myself in my mind about whether or not like I should breathe. Like if you want to live, you have to breathe. And then be like, this is why people die from this drug. And I'm like, sense and then I'm like, okay, don't, no, but breathe now. <laughs> like, so yeah, weird, really weird. And like in that way, quite a scary drug didn't like, like it helps with the pain, but like I did not enjoy it. Um, didn't want a lot of that. No, I didn't. Um, but like within two hours, I was discharged and sent home. And uh, they have a drain that comes out, and you have to clear the drain for a couple weeks. And uh, they give you like a piece of paper with ten terrible exercises <laughs> to do for we'll your get you arm back to <laughs> that will get you nowhere near where you should be for yeah. your recovery. Um, yeah. So. Um, it was tough. It was, I would say the toughest part was taking care of a one and a half year old when you're, when you're recovering from this kind of surgery, mm-hmm. who doesn't understand why you can't pick him up or why he can't climb all over you. Uh, just that mommy's got an ouch. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did the best that we could. I'm really lucky. I have a friend that uh, came over from PEI and she has two kids and she just was like, no, I'm going to come over. And she came over for a week and she like wouldn't let me overexert myself mm-hmm. even though I wanted to all you the time. That. Yeah, I didn't need that. Yeah. yeah. Um so she took good care of me. The people at the gym um they started they started this thing where I cuz I was I was on a particular diet. I was gluten-free and dairy-free just to limit the amount of like inflammatory response that I was having and that wasn't something that the doctors um told me to do. I just took that upon myself. Because I love it. Yeah. <laughs> because I thought, like, I know these are inflammatory foods. I know if I'm going to be stuck at home, I'm going to lean towards them and want to take them, and that's mm-hmm. going to affect my recovery. Um, but I also know that these are the types of things that, like, can lead to cancer. So, like, if this is something, like, I just, like, I just I had taken, like, a month or two off of, like, eating those foods. And, yeah, so the people at the gym, they started this, um, this system where, like, they signed up and people, like, I had people were bringing me gluten and dairy-free meals for two months. Like, beyond when I needed it. Every day. Cancer support lottery, kind of. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Yeah. To the point where I was like, at at the end, like, Blake and I were like, we are fully capable of making our own meals now. (laughs) We will continue to take them. Yeah, like, we felt bad at the end. But it was just like, people just, people wanted to help and like, um, I didn't ask for it, and they didn't ask me if I wanted it. They asked if it would be okay, and I said yes, and that was tough for me to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you don't let people help you, you're going to sit around and be like, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Like, people do care, and they want to help, and they want to be there for you. And food is a great way to let people be there for you. Yeah. It was so much easier to accept food, and, like, they would just drop it on my doorstep or leave it at the gym, and, like, you, like... That is a lot easier than answering a million messages every day or, you know, having coffee with 
300 different people, (laughs) you know, like that takes a lot of energy, but just to like, be like, yeah, I will accept this food that you're making for me and I will be grateful for it Mm -hmm. and I will feed it to my family and thank you. And like, it takes like one meal of the day away from my stress. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that was also a big learning lesson for me that like when people want to help you, let them, let them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is a very hard lesson. It's a very hard lesson. It goes against my grain big yeah. time. Like yeah. that's not how I am mm-hmm. at all. It's changed me for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I think like with all of this too, there's, there's the massive amount of trauma. There's a lot of experiences here. And for me, I, I'm always so interested in your story because when you come to see me, we work on the rehab piece of things. Yeah. And I think like, I didn't even think about that. I didn't think like after you have a breast removed, there's a bunch of scar tissue there. Like, it yeah. makes sense when you say it out loud, but, like, I never really thought about your immobility of your shoulder now. I didn't think... Nobody told me about that. Yeah. Tell no. me a little bit about that experience. Yeah, so, um, they removed my breast. They ended up be- removing all of my lymph nodes. Um, uh, and luckily, when the testing came back for my lymph nodes, my cancer had not spread, so I did not need chemo and that was a tough two-week wait to hear whether or not I needed to start chemo treatments Mm -hmm. and it was a huge relief and celebration when I found out that I didn't um and they did remove all of my lymph nodes which is like a little bit abnormal but part of that is because I have I was so fit that uh um and I did such a crazy ass workout that like they're swollen yeah Yeah. big time (laughs) Yeah, they were swollen. Yeah. Yeah. They were actually, the surgeon was worried because they were so swollen. Oh, wow. Yeah. You got the uh, good pump on. I got a, I got a sweet <laughs> pump on the day before. That's why. Um, um, so yeah, so, um, everything was great. Um, and I felt fine. Like it feels really weird. It's such, it's a weird transition. Like, uh, what, something that I didn't anticipate was the numbness. Mm. So like you're bandaged for two weeks. And then I remember they they took the drain out and they took the bandage off, and I was like, "That's when, that's when the real mental slash physical nervy pain started because it dawned on me that like I thought I couldn't feel my skin because it was bandaged, but I just couldn't feel my skin. So they took the bandage off and I still couldn't feel anything. So from my belly button to my clavicle there was no feeling yeah and uh that was really scary yeah. um as an athlete who feels every single thing that like to the point where i go and i see warren he's like this is neurological <laughs> like you know like you hurt your back five years ago yeah. and you're a little tight and you've created pain now. This beautiful pathway exactly. from your brain to this exactly. area. Like, I'm a super highway. Right. I, I have a super highway. I have, like, not even a super highway. It's like the Japan train system. Express. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I find pain very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, and the disconnect. The disconnect was... It just felt terrible. It felt so terrible. It just, and I was like, am I going to be like this forever? Like, am I never going to be able to feel my chest? Like, I can't feel anything. And I hated it. Um, and then and then the pain and the feelings slowly starts to come back. And that's even weirder. Yeah. When your nerves wake up. Um, so I would say that's like the most... That was the most painful part of my immediate recovery. Um, the toughest part. Um... 
But then, like, after a month or month and a half, I, I went back to the gym and I was like, okay, like, I'm, I can start to work out. I can start to feel good. And uh, I went to put my arm over my head and I couldn't. Yeah. Um, I couldn't put a PVC pipe over my head. I couldn't do a strict press. Um, and I thought it was just weakness. Um, and, and then a month later, I still couldn't. Uh, and six months later, I still couldn't. So they had done some nerve damage when they took out my lymph nodes. And, um, so I don't know exactly where it is, but it's kind of like where my lat connects in to my armpit. Like I don't have feeling there. Um, and I can't engage there. So I can't really pull back when weight's over my head. I can't pull the weight into a good, healthy position. So snatching or overhead positioning is, like, tough for me. Um, and your posterior delt, like your shoulder muscle, we almost use you as, like, an education yeah. piece for things to look for here, you know? Because yeah. it was, the muscle definition was gone. It was gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that shows nerve damage exactly. for us, right? So I also have keloids. Um, so that's like a lot of a black people um, have keloids. So when you scar, your scar tissue comes back like with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. So it like is thick, it's black, it bubbles. Um, so my scar on my right side um, turned into this short, fat, like th- like really wide scar. So it, it should be like paper thin Mm -hmm. like a line drawn across my chest and I would say it's like three fingers like wide at one point um and you can see the scar physically pulling my shoulder forward when you look at me and I think you explained it best to me just through lack of experience about what happened post-surgery um and like I could see it in a medical textbook as many times as I want, but until you actually see it and kind of see the emotion that goes along with it, there's so much to that. Right. Yeah. And then you kind of explained it to me where like their job was to get the cancer out. It wasn't to leave you with a beautiful no body. No. You know, that's what my surgeon said. Yeah. You know, like I went back and I was like, I think there might be some nerve damage. And she was like, yeah, probably. It's <laughs> like, we had to take out all of your lymph nodes mm-hmm. and we, they didn't look good. And we had to, like, you're cancer-free. Mm-hmm. Like, my job is to get rid of the cancer. You don't have cancer. Like, she's like, and in order to do that, I needed to scrape, scrape your muscle tissue mm-hmm. to the point where I'm scraping your muscle off on your chest. Like, she's like, yeah, of course. Like, just try getting a massage. <laughs> like, oh, I've been getting massages. <laughs> like, I still can't put my arm over my head yeah. or like if I lie down on my back and put my arms out in a T like my right arm doesn't touch the floor mm-hmm. like the scar tissue just doesn't Pulls let it, it. yeah exactly yeah. it hovers over the ground yeah. um so from surgery to now that's basically been what I've been working on mm-hmm. is like I can't train the way I used to train I can't do any gymnastics um I've been doing I've, I've been doing intense workouts with the stuff that I can go intense on, yeah. be intense with, which is like rowing, like all my weaknesses, <laughs> rowing, aerodyne, stuff like that. telling you to get better. Exactly. Athlete. Just working on my weaknesses, yeah. which is great. I love it because it makes me feel like a competitive athlete again. Yeah. Um, 
but at the same time, a lot of bodybuilding. So building up the muscles around the area mm-hmm. where I've experienced a lot of loss. Um, so that like they are working, they're, they're stronger and working harder to keep my shoulder pinned back a little bit more mm-hmm. to provide me with more support if I do go overhead. Yeah. Um, so I'm at the point now where I can put a PVC pipe over my head. I can put a barbell over my head with a narrow grip. Um, so I can do a strict press. Um, I can jerk, but I can't jerk heavy. Um, I can't snatch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's changed. It's changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then kind of on top of that too. So in through all of this, you had another baby. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I got my all clear. Uh, basically, I got my all clear uh, a month or so after my surgery. And a month after that, I was pregnant with Monty. Monty. Yeah. So my, my second boy. Um, and I had him in June and, uh, uh, I was breastfeeding him with my one breast. That's where things got weird physically. Like my body image was, you know, I had worked so hard to love my body for what it does. Um, and, uh, when you are an athlete and you get pregnant and your body doesn't do the things that you want it to do or that you were used to it doing that's tough on its own Mm -hmm. to just be like "Mm, what is my like and like what's my body doing it's creating life not to take away from that that's a beautiful thing it's It's amazing it is a miracle but like i'm an athlete so i'm like what else can it do Mm -hmm. right like it's not like doesn't make me feel as valued as like Hitting a crazy lift. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just weird. It's just the way I am. So, so I wasn't happy. Like, it's just tough for me in any, in both of my pregnancies, no matter what, to like see my muscle go away. Um, be slowed down. To be slowed down. Um, and then to try and find like a way to love my body for like, I'm doing a great job at putting on baby weight and I'm doing a good job. Like my breasts like go from like a B to a double D or more like which you know I produced a lot of milk Mm -hmm. but like I don't want double D breasts you know I want like a flat chest so I can have a good bar path yeah Yeah. (laughs) so that's tough um now take all of that and just have one breast and like I can't walk around this earth and have everybody look at me and be like oh I had breast cancer (laughs) I could and they would understand yeah but, like, that's not, again, that's not me. Like, I don't want to ha- start that conversation. I don't want people to feel sorry for me. So I'm just walking around with one giant breast. That was tough. Mm. That was really tough. Yeah. That was a daily basis tough time for me. I do not blame people for looking at my one breast mm. for the time that I had it. I went to weddings. I went to events. You know, the, I, like, I'm not going to lie, I skipped a few staff parties because I couldn't bear to put clothes on over my body mm. and have people look at me and be with all these people looking beautiful with their full, not in like in that moment, maimed body. Yeah. Um, I just couldn't do it. So I would say like there was some depression there that came along with my, like my pregnancy hormones Yeah, where it was really tough for me to accept Like, because I was also dealing with the setback from my shoulder. And, like, let's just say, like, it wasn't, it's not just a physical setback. Like, I'm I'm still in pain on a daily basis with my shoulder. So, like, chronic pain 
is tough on your mindset. It's tough on your psyche. Losing your ability to express yourself through movement is tough when you're pregnant. And then on top of that, having a very noticeable, um, uniqueness. Yeah. I don't, yeah. It's, um, I don't know. It felt like more, it didn't feel like uniqueness to me. It felt like, you know, like being like, like I had gone to war, but nobody knew, Mm. you know, like PTSD kind of thing. Like I got scars. You can't see them. Um, you don't know my pain kind of stuff. Um, so it was weird. That was tough for me. Yeah. And it's probably a hard, short conversation. Yeah. Be like, oh, I notice you're looking at it. Oh my God. I would love it if people brought it up to me. People didn't though. Mm. They just looked. They're scared. Yeah. They just looked. Yeah. Which was worse. Probably. You know, looked, turned around and I'd be like, ah, wait, I just, I want to explain myself. Mm. Like, and like, yeah, I still wore dresses. I still wore a dress to a wedding. Mm. And as hard as that was, you know. But, like, uh, so that was tough. Um, but after Monty was born, part of that it, toughness came, like, I, I understood it because I was able to breastfeed him. Mm-hmm. And that I, was its job. That was its job. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I'm not someone that's, like, breast is best. I just personally love breastfeeding my child. So it gives me a sense of relief and closeness and love that I really, really enjoyed with King. And so I was really, really felt really lucky to have held on to this one breast for as long as I did so mm-hmm. that I could breastfeed Monty. It was worth it. Um, but I did get a call when he was four months old from my surgeon. And usually, so I, I elected to be on a wait list to have my other breast removed because I never wanted to go through this again. Yeah. Uh, regardless of what my genetic profile said. I just don't want to risk it. Um, so, um, and I know that the wait for reconstruction was almost like three to five years. Um, so that's when you have like new breasts. Um, and that just wasn't appealing to me. I didn't want to wait three to five years. One, two, I didn't want breast implants. There's all this stuff in the news. It's almost daily about women who have implants post uh, cancer actually are getting cancer from their implants, mm-hmm. which is like a hundred percent. No, like yeah. I just needed to hear it once to be like, no, nope, not doing it. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing this. Like anyone who's had cancer, like if any of those women had known that that was a potential, a potential they mm-hmm. would never have gotten those because like cancer is not worth having boobs mm-hmm. <laughs> at all. Fair. Right. So, so, and then my doctor, my doc, my family doctor and my surgeon both were like, I don't recommend reconstruction because one, like, you, like all of this stuff in the news, like you, you can potentially can cause issues Two, you'll have to do another like surgery, like in 10 to 15 years, we'll have to replace those. My surgeon was like, honestly, Mel, the way you live your life, I wouldn't be surprised if it was five to eight years <laughs> that you need to Fair. replace your breasts. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And like, just because you said five, I would make it three. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> just to see if I could. Yeah. Just because like, I'm going to go real hard. Um, that's a challenge. Um, 
So I just was like, no. And yeah. then, so I needed to sit down with my husband and be like, how important are breasts to you when it comes to like you being attracted to me? And that's a weird conversation to have I bet. because you know, you, when you marry someone and you're with someone, you're not like, can you just list all of the things about me that you find attractive that you couldn't live without? Yeah. In like but, a hierarchical order. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like you just like, you find me attractive. Yeah. I know you like my fit body. Like that's all I needed to know. And then we needed to sit down and he needed like, he was like, no babe, like, I would, I'm going to love you no matter what. And I was like, I actually don't want you to answer right now. Like, I actually want you to sit and think with this for a little bit because I'm not going to do this surgery. And then five years from now for you to be like, um, actually, yeah, yeah. this is an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, he doesn't care. He's an ex professional hockey player. He's got like 50, um, 50 to 70 stitches on his chin and he's surgery multiple times mm-hmm. all his body he's like i love scars <laughs> and uh so i'm really lucky in that way um and he like you know he when i put on a tight shirt and i have no breasts he is still attracted to me and he tells me that he thinks i look great of and course so i'm really mm-hmm. lucky in that way but it was a weird conversation to have to have um and then I did think about it for a bit and I was like, you know, I'm glad you are okay with this because I would have done it anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, like I'm not going to risk getting cancer from an implant and, um, just for you and your sorry ass. So, <laughs> so <laughs> answer in the yeah. End yeah. Um, so like, I know, I don't know if a lot of women out there are curious about your answer to this, but you got a double mastectomy Tape came off the second breast, yeah. and you look in the mirror. Yep. Um, and I just feel relief. Mm-hmm. This time it's just really it felt a lot better. Mm-hmm. The surgery felt easier. The recovery felt easier. They didn't take out my lymph nodes, mm-hmm. so there was no nerve damage. I have zero issue with putting this arm over my head. Um, she Scars sewed way better. She sewed me up yeah. differently. Um, so she actually like sewed me up underneath my skin, and then sewed me up differently on like the big stitch underneath my skin and then a different stitch on top of like where my skin is Mm -hmm. so like you see that thin line of a scar um it's not pulling on anything there's no bumpy black keloids it's just a much better um so that was really reassuring um but it was just like it was just the symmetry Mm -hmm. like it just felt right like I just felt normal I felt balanced again Mm -hmm. and it didn't matter if it was like if I had two breasts or no breasts at all I just wanted symmetry Um, so putting on a shirt felt amazing even when I had the bandages on I put on a t-shirt and like I just was like I can fucking wear a t-shirt again you know and feel normal like a high neck t-shirt and it doesn't look like I have a ball stuck underneath my shirt like yeah yeah so it just everything about this surgery was just like a relief Cool. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting to hear. It's like not an experience that many of us would ever know or, or go through. And I think as a woman, we could relate. We could, you know, find some sort of understanding of that. Like, yeah. I would never say that I wouldn't understand, but definitely not to the extent that you went through all of this, yeah. you know? And, and I think, like, it's also amazing the support of women that you had around you, too. Yeah. And, and husband and family, you know, everyone was kind of in your corner for this. And and your story's amazing, man. And I know, I know sometimes you've mentioned that you have, uh, how did you phrase it again? Of survivors 
Survivor's guilt. Yeah, survivor's guilt. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. So definitely. So like I'd say the third toughest part of me and my cancer experience was um, once I went through and I found out that I, I, I didn't need chemo, um, I just felt really guilty. Mm. Uh, I had joined a, a, a women with breast cancer group on Facebook. And to be fair, most of them were, you know, 50 and up. Um, but I saw them on a daily basis uh, talking about... Uh, going through their chemotherapy, talking about their cancer coming back, um, and just being like, oh my God, like I can't chime in because like they're going to look at me and be like, you know, like, I don't know, newbie or you got you, lucky, you got it. away with this, you know, like, yeah. you know, it's like kind of that, um, that thing where like, you know, like I, I'm a, I'm black and so like, you know, like, when white people are like, I can't weigh in on the black experience, so I'm just going to sit here and listen. Mm. Like, I felt like that. Like, I can't weigh in on the cancer experience because I truly didn't go through all of the things that you go through when you have cancer, which is not fair mm-hmm. because, like, I still I still did. Yeah. And I, I still, like, I still am a young woman with a young family, and I was facing some really tough possibilities. So mm-hmm. I know that now. Um but it still was really tough, and, like, I ended up, like, having to go see a psychologist about it, and I went with my husband, which is really nice of him to come with me and join me, um, and he gave us me some tools, like, meditation tools, actually, um, but I still was having a hard time with it, and someone at the gym had given me this really beautiful gift um, before they knew that I didn't need chemo, and it was, like, a chemo package, so it was, like, like a hoodie to wear when you're feeling cold and you're getting your treatment, it's, like lip gloss, candies for your dry mouth, all of this stuff that you would need if you had to go through chemo. And I didn't. Um, But there is um, a 26-year-old in that Facebook group who had cancer, and she had had to go through chemo. So I reached out to her, and I was like, I have this thing. Can I give it to you? I would love to give it to you. And she was so grateful. She was like, yes, thank you. All of those things I need. Um, So I went to the hospital. And I met her, and she's lovely, and uh, I gave her the package, and as I was leaving, I met her mom, and her mom was asking me about my story, uh, and her mom was like, I just don't understand, like, why, why do you walk away like this, and how come my daughter has to go through what she's going through, and I do not blame the mom for that, because... I would think the same thing if it was my child. 26 is still your baby. Your baby's always your baby. Um, But I didn't have an answer for her, and I just went to the car, and I just bawled. And I just felt so bad. And then I was like, fuck, like, how come? Like, why? Why did I get through this? And why? She's 26. Like, why is this happening to her? And uh, I went to see my surgeon, and uh, I told her how I was feeling. And my mom and my husband were in the room, and my surgeon was like, not to take away from anybody else in their experience or how they found out they had cancer, but she's like, Mel, like, you have been living your life a certain way. She's like, you take care of your body. You invest in your body, how you eat, how you live. She's like, you know when something is wrong with your body. She's like, you've been training for this moment your whole life she's like you you never know when you're going to get sick but 
that didn't matter because you were prepared for it. So if you go through an illness or a disease and you handle it better than some other people, or you come out better on the other side than some other people, some of that has got to be because you were prepared physically, emotionally, and mentally mm-hmm. to go through it. Yeah. And uh, she's like, you can never feel bad for, for, for that. Um, and that changed my life. Yeah, that is... Phew. I don't yeah. even know what to say to that. Like, yeah. those words are enough. Like, I think, like, yeah, I hope people heard that and yeah. if not, replay it. Yeah, so that's my message to everybody always, always, is that disease is coming. Yeah. Sickness is coming. It's inevitable. We're all going to be sick at some point. At some point in your life, we're probably all going to get cancer. Like, mm-hmm. they call my cause for cancer being environmental factors, right? What you, does that mean? Exactly. Yeah. It's just like the world around me gave me cancer. Yeah. And it's not like we're doing anything to the world around us to prevent that from happening. We're only doing more. Yeah. We're all going to get sick. So what are you doing right now, today, tomorrow, in your life to help you deal with it when you do? To make you prepared for when you do have to face your biggest battle. Whether that's cancer, whether that's a car accident, whether that's, you know, like um, anything. Mm-hmm. Like even if it's like defending your thesis, like what... Like, what is it? What? How are you preparing? And not just from, like, a mental perspective, but a physical, emotional, all of that. What do you do in your life to prepare you for your biggest battles that you don't expect to come? Yeah. Yeah. Man, I was going to ask, like, one of my final questions, but I think that that's it. Like, yeah. I'm, I've been asking most guests, like, what, what could you bestow upon the world or the future generation of sport coming up? But I think that that is the most powerful thing you could ever say, right? Yeah, you don't have to be an athlete. You don't need to be on a sports team. Mm-hmm. You just need to invest in yourself. Yeah. You got to be ready. Mm-hmm. Like, the way an athlete is ready to play, you got to be ready to fight. For sure. Mel, thank you so much for sharing your story. Like, My pleasure. I hope everyone took something from this. Actually, I know everyone would probably take something from this. And your openness and honesty is... Amazing. And some swear words in there. <laughs> yeah, my mom will love that yeah, part. <laughs> no, it's great. It's a great way to like convey the actual emotion of the situation, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, we could talk all day about this, I'm sure. There's probably so many stories. And are you open to people reaching out to you? 100%. Yeah? Yeah. Where can people find you? Um, so uh, my email is melanie at blendedathletics.com. That's the easiest way to reach me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm Mel Sasha Gallagher on instagram you can find me there follow along with me like i don't even know my handle because i'm so i'm not cool i think you just started following yeah. me today didn't yeah you? i know i did <laughs> like, oh, i think i'll follow back coax because hey, then people were like you talk about her all the time like did you see her post and i'm like no she has instagram <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so you can message me like if like if you're going through something mm-hmm. if you're not going through something if you want to train with me, if you have a question for me, um, people have asked me questions like, what do I give this person that I barely know who's going through cancer? Mm-hmm. Like, I will, I am always open to talking about any of this stuff. My experience, your experience, fitness. Man, health. thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being like that. And thank you for putting your story out in the world. And I think it is a huge fear of a lot of people. Yeah. And I think talking about it makes it less scary. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sure we'll have you, you know, back and I'm sure you'll be on other episodes to share yeah, more. Yeah, maybe I'll be on another episode about my amazing shoulder recovery. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. We're injecting it with all sorts we of are. fun stuff, Keep right? doing that. Awesome, buddy. All right, we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you again. My pleasure. 
Guys, I know I've mentioned this already, but uh, Mel's story is incredible. There were so many times in that podcast where, you know, the story brought me to tears and I know sometimes these diagnoses can be lonely, so there's always people out there to talk to and, and reach out if you need. So thanks again for listening, guys, and Mel and I are here for you if you need us.